Welcome to Robin Wesleyan Church Online. My name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here, and we've got a real treat for you today. Uh, Dr. Steve Lennox, the president of Kingswood University, is going to be sharing the word with us this morning. It's going to be great. He's talking about how to run through the chaos of life. Isn't that it? How do we make it through these weird days that we're living in? Before we get into it, though, I just have a couple announcements. One is that Silver Lake is doing a couple retreats this fall. If you're a youth or a young adult, you should check out their website or their social pages. Silver Lake Wesleyan Camp. It's going to be a great time. I'm going up. If you need a ride, talk to me. It's going to be good. I uh, have another announcement. Uh, if you missed out on any of our uh, camp services this past week, uh, in the coming weeks, we'll be uploading all of those evening services. So if you want to get tuned into what was shared there, it was great stuff. So I hope you can catch it there. Uh, but with that, can I pray for us? And we'll get into the word with Dr. Lennox. God, we thank you so much that you care for us and that you desire to speak for us. Would you come into our hearts today, Father? Would you come and speak to us in a way we can understand? Help us to have ears that can hear what you're saying. Use Dr. Lennox in this word that you've prepared uh, in our hearts, Father. And God, would you bless Pastor Bird as he leads us in worship here after that. We long to encounter you, God. We want to be with you. Help our hearts to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think by any definition, these are chaotic days. And what I find to be really helpful in times of confusion and chaos is a good map and a compass. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, verses that we at Kingswood have chosen to focus on in this academic year. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, open our minds and our hearts to hear your word. Speak to us through your spirit, we pray, in these chaotic days. In Jesus' name, amen. There's lots that we could focus on in this text, but I want to direct our attention to this phrase found in the end, at the end of verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, a question comes immediately to mind. That race that's marked out for us, is it marked out for each of us or is the writer of Hebrews referring to a race that every Christian runs? Is it that race that every Christian runs that begins with God's grace leading us to this recognition of our need for him and allowing us to accept him as our Savior and Lord, justification and adoption, and then progresses on to sanctification where we grow in our relationship with, with the Lord, leading to glorification when we encounter the presence of the Lord face to face. Is that the race that's marked out for us to which the writer of Hebrews refers? Or is it a race that's marked out for each of us? Well, actually, I think it is. Here's why. He's just spent a whole chapter describing for us the heroes of faith. And every single race that he describes in chapter 11 is different from every other. No two races alike. Abraham's race is different from Moses' race, which is different from Gideon's race, which is different from Rahab's race. They're all different. 
And so just concluding this list of races that are all different from one another, it seems to make most sense that he's referring to the race that's marked out for each of us. If you broaden the camera out and look at the rest of Scripture, that's what you find. You really find very few instances where races are similar, certainly not identical to one another. Paul's race was different from Peter's race, which was different from Stephen's race, which was different from, well, you get the point. God seems to have a race that's marked out for each of us. And the only reason that I can figure out why people would doubt this is because they doubt God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything, and they doubt God's omnipotence, that he can do anything, and they doubt God's sovereignty. Which reminds me of a time when I was just a young teen in my home church in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. It was a Sunday evening service. I remember exactly where I was sitting. On the right-hand side, about a third of the way up from the back. And because it was a Sunday evening service, it was a testimony service. And I knew exactly who was going to testify and pretty much what they were going to say almost verbatim. The one person would stand up and thank the Lord for keeping them down through the years, and another person would stand up then and keep, thank the Lord for keep lifting them up from the miry clay. And, and if we were lucky, there'd be a testimony from the older bachelor, Jim, who would describe some adventure in his life, like the time that he was hungry and had to go without lunch, and he prayed about it, and God reminded him there was an old bologna sandwich underneath the seat of his car, and that's where his lunch came from. I mean, we could only hope for testimonies like that. But I never anticipated the testimony that came. There was a lady in our church by the name of Phyllis. And Phyllis's job was to look after older people in their homes. And on this occasion, she was looking after an older gentleman, and she talked him into coming to church. Now, I'm pretty sure this was his first time in a church, or at least his first time in a testimony service. The people in our church, when they, when they gave their testimonies, they'd stand up, but they'd stay in one place. This guy, he was sitting behind us in the very back row, same side as me. I heard him start talking, and I didn't recognize the voice, and I turned around, and what do you think? He was walking while he was talking. But what was even more startling to me is what he was saying. He was not talking about how God had been good to him, how God had lifted him up from the miry clay or kept him down through the years. He was talking about the fact that he didn't believe in God, which I thought was pretty remarkable in a Sunday evening testimony service at my church. As he was walking, he went up the side aisle, all the way up the side aisle, and talking, and he got to the very front, and he put some money in the offering plate. Presumably, he felt like he needed to pay for the privilege of telling everybody what he thought, and then he returned to his seat. And I never saw him again, but I never forgot what he said. He talked about how it would be impossible for God to know everything that every person was doing. I remember him saying, can you imagine how many computers he would need to do that? That's the only objection that I can think of to why God couldn't have a race marked out for you that was different than the race marked out for me. That God just doesn't have the capacity, doesn't have the computers in order to compute all those specifics. But of course we understand from Scripture that God knows everything. And God can do anything. And God has control over everything. So his way gets accomplished. And if you grant those things, then there's no reason to doubt the idea that God has a plan for you. Just for you. 
It's unique to you. He has a race marked out for you. Now, I'll tell you why that becomes difficult to remember. It's because as we're running this race, which presumably is marked out for us by God himself, we inevitably run into problems. There's illness. There's financial difficulty. There's anxiety. There are relationship issues. There's people who oppose us. There's people who who hate us and make our lives miserable. And then you throw a pandemic into this. And frankly, it just really raises the question whether this is in fact the path that God has marked out for us. If if God marks this path out for us, if he's set this race for each of us, then we just assume it would be a race that would be easier to run, right? Now, there are a couple things that factor into our conclusion that this can't be the race that God's marked out for us, and one of them we could put under the label of progress. You see, we live in a society where pretty much problem-solution is one word. If there's a problem, there's immediately a solution. I mean, we're not going to have to wait long before this problem, whatever it is, is solved. If there's any silver lining to the COVID pandemic, it is the realization that there isn't an immediate-to-hand solution for every problem. But because we've bought into this idea that if there's a problem, there must be an immediate solution, we face these problems, we don't see the solution, we say, God, you could do it, you're not doing it, maybe I'm not in the race that you've marked out for me. We assume this myth of progress And that it must work out in our circumstances. There's another myth. And we could put it under the label of pride. But it's this idea that because I'm a good Christian. I shouldn't have to go through this stuff. These difficulties. I shouldn't have to go through them. Or am I the only person who has encountered difficulties in my spiritual life. And my response to them has been. And I hate to confess it. But my response has been. Really God? Really? After all I've done. I mean, I'm living my life for you. Really? Is this what I've got to go through? But you see, that's a myth of pride. That somehow, because of what I've done, I shouldn't have to face the difficulties in my life. And so the scriptures say that God has a race, and it's a race marked out for each of us, but we encounter difficulties on that race, and we're tempted to assume that because we've encountered difficulties, God can't be in it. And we find ourselves coming to that same point that the young father did in the story in the Gospels where Jesus asked him if he believed and he said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Have you been there? I have. And I think if we can remember some things, it might make it easier for us to remain convinced that God has a race marked out for us. And we've already used two Ps. I'll add four more. Here's the first. If we want to remember that we are running the race that God has marked out for us in spite of the difficulties that we encounter, remember the precedent See, the thing about difficulties is that difficulties have a way of being, making us feel isolated, like we're the only ones going through it. And because we've got all tied up in this myth of progress and this myth of, of pride, we can think that somehow because of what we we're facing, it's our fault. And so there's not only isolation, there's shame. And I say again, remember the precedent. 
Look at those in Hebrews 11. Abram, Moses, Noah. That's a pretty good crowd to be associated with. Wouldn't you agree? And yet every single one of those individuals experienced difficulties on the race marked out for them. They set a precedent that some of God's best have to experience some of the world's worst. But that's not the trophy example for the writer of Hebrews. The trophy example for the writer of Hebrews is Jesus himself. Look at verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, hint, hint, difficulties, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You're in pretty good company if you're experiencing difficulties. Some of God's very best, in fact, his very best, had to go through some of the very worst, in fact, the very worst. So if you're on this race marked out for you and you're experiencing difficulties, just recall the precedent. You're in good company here. Here's the second P. Keep things in perspective. Difficulties have a way of becoming all-consuming. You have a problem with your spouse, and that's all you can think about through the day. And if you're not careful, that problem that you have, you can begin to catastrophize. You know what that means. You begin to spin out what will happen as a result of that bad thing. So you had a fight with your spouse, and therefore you'll probably get a divorce, and then your children will grow up in single-parent households, and you'll probably lose your job, and you won't be able... And by the time you're done, the, the entirety of the world is teetering on the balance. This catastrophe, that's catastrophizing. And what you need more than anything at that moment is a good, healthy perspective. Difficulties Well, that's the rent you pay for the space you occupy. You're human. Here's what the book of Job says about humans. Humans are born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. Everybody, every human being experiences difficulty. Keep that in perspective. Keep it in perspective that things could be worse. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, I've got to be honest with you. When somebody would come to me as I was experiencing difficulty and they said, you know, it could be worse. I never liked that. I thought all kinds of bad things about them at that moment. I didn't like to think. It didn't help me at all to think that things could be worse. And yet there is a value in that. There is a value. Just knowing that things could be worse is a kind of immunization against this catastrophizing impulse. Because things could be worse. Not necessarily will be, but could be. But I think there's an even more pressing reason why the writer of Hebrews points out that they've not yet come to the point of shedding blood. And here it is. They could. It could get to that. But if it gets to that, God will have gotten there first. 
It could get worse. But if it gets worse, you can be sure that God will have already been there ahead of you, already preparing the way for you, already supplying the grace that you will need to deal with it if you get to the point of shedding blood. You see, you keep your perspective. You recognize the difficulties, that just comes with life. And you recognize the difficulties, God is out ahead of you. No matter what happens, God will be faithful to you. Keep that perspective. The third P, difficulties have a purpose. I said a minute ago that everybody experiences difficulties, but here's the difference. Everybody in the world, Christian and non-Christian, experience difficulty. But the Christian knows that there's a purpose for those difficulties, and they know who establishes and accomplishes the purpose. Difficulties have a reason. We may not always be able to figure out what they are, but we can be confident that God will use our difficulties for his glory and our good. I mean, that's the impression I get from the writer of Hebrews in verse 7. He says, endure hardship as discipline. Well, what does that mean? That means the difficulties that I'm going through, God is using them to discipline me. Not to punish me necessarily, though that may be necessary. But discipline goes beyond punishment. Discipline is how God prepares us for what's coming. The good things that are coming. Like what? Well, look at verse 10. This discipline allows us to do what? Share in his holiness. What a purpose. God can take our difficulties and turn them to his glory and our greatest good of sharing in his holiness. This is what the writer James was referring to when he says in James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, he says, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Difficulties are purposeful in the hands of a powerful and loving God. Which brings us to the fourth P, which is perseverance. If we're on this race that's marked out for us and we're experiencing difficulties, we need to keep in mind the precedent that we're in good company. We need to keep our right perspective. We need to keep confident in the fact that God has a purpose for all of this. And then we just need to keep going. The solution to our problem lies not before our difficulties or in the midst of our difficulties, but when they're all done, then we can look back and see what God is doing. So keep going. Difficulties are not interruptions to his plan. It's not like I've got to solve these difficulties before I can get on with his plan. Difficulties are not reasons to doubt his plan. Difficulties, listen, difficulties are essential elements of his plan. You say, Steve, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, I don't. You say, Steve, what I'm going through is so horrific Nothing good can come from this. Well, maybe what you're going through is more horrific than anything I've ever known or experienced. But you can't say that nothing good can come from this. The most horrific thing that ever happened happened to the person of Jesus. And look at the good that came from that. Persevere. Persevere in running this race marked out for us. 
But then there's the verb run. We ought not to lose sight of this. If we're going to actually traverse this race that's marked out for us, it's meant to be done by running. You see, difficulties are one of the problems we face in chaotic times, but a loss of focus is another. Distraction is another. Chaos can be an unsettling time. It can, it can cause us to lose focus. But let's just be very clear. We must run the race that's marked out for us. And run means energy. Run means discipline. Run means challenges. Run means effort. Run means focus. Run means getting into your lane and running the race that's marked out for us. Now, frankly, some of us are not in our lane. We're up in the stands. We've paid our admission. We're part of the church, but we're really enjoying our comfortable seat. We can cheer those who are doing well and boo those who are doing poorly, and we're just a part of the second most populous spectator sport on Sundays. But church was never meant to be a spectator sport. We were meant to get into the race. And some of us are not up in the stands, we're at the concession stand. We're getting a hot dog and Coke. We're satisfying our needs. We're making sure our needs get met. We're not running the race, although we have every intention to. As soon as we get all the ketchup on our curly fries, we'll get in the race. But we're not meant to be at the concession stand. We're meant to be on the track running the race. And then there are some who are still in the locker room. Now, my heart goes out to these people. They're, they're dressed, they're associating with the team, but they, they just haven't got out on the track yet. And I think it has a lot to do with fear. I think they may be afraid that they're not quite ready to run this race yet. I think they may be afraid that there's something in, in their past that's going to hold them back or that's going to keep them from finishing. I think they might be afraid that there are people in their lives that won't appreciate the fact that they're in the race. But for whatever reason, this fear is keeping them in the locker room. But we're not meant to be in the locker room. We're meant to be on the track running the race. And I think there are some people who are running the race, but in someone else's lane. We've got the idea that our Christian life has to be just like their Christian life. It may be a mentor. It may be someone we look up to. It may be someone who has what we think is the ideal Christian life. And, and we're running the race, but we're running their race. When God runs, wants us to run the race that's marked out for us. There's grace to run this race. But you only find it when you run it in your lane. We're to run this race marked out for us. We're to run this race. We're to take seriously, keep our focus on this race, expend ourselves in this race. I love these words of C.S. Lewis. He said, people who lose their faith don't have it snatched away from them by force. They just forget where they put it. But if you're running the race of faith, if you're expending yourself in this race of faith, if you're running the race of faith in your lane, you won't forget where you put it. You'll know exactly where you put it. And it'll become more precious to you with every lap. So my question to you is this. Are you running the race of faith? What is it costing you to be a Christian? Well, one thing more and then we'll be done. 
We have this race that's marked out for us, and we are to be running this race that's marked out for us. But we ought not to forget that this is a race marked out for us. I'm not running it alone. I'm not running it in competition with others, but I'm certainly not running it alone. I'm running it as part of a great cloud of witnesses. And I know they've always told you to keep your head out of the clouds, but this is one cloud you need to keep your head and your heart in. This cloud of witnesses. John Wesley said there is no holiness but social holiness. And what he meant by that is that God designed us to grow in a community, a group of people that hold us accountable, that we hold accountable, that can encourage us, that can model for, it, for us what it means to be a Christian. This is what we need. This is what we need to run this race, this race marked out for us. When Eileen and I were just a young couple with a small child, <clears throat> God gave us a wonderful opportunity to worship at a great church down in Pennsylvania, Bethany Wesleyan in Cherryville. And our good friend Dwight Addington was the pastor, and Dwight encouraged us to become part of this young adult class. And I'm so glad he did. This class became for us a lifesaver as we went through some challenges in our family that I don't have time to relate. But this class was the one that came around us and nourished us and provided for us and brought meals to us and prayed for us and visited with us. We needed that in order to keep going on the race that we were facing. The time came when we had to leave that area and move to Indiana and Eileen and I, as we were looking for churches, we said, we don't care about anything else. We, obviously, we care that they preach the gospel, but the thing we wanted more than anything after that is that we could find another class, like the young adult class we had back at Cherryville. And we looked, went from church to church, couldn't find it, finally found a pastor who said, well, we don't have a class like that, but I sure wish we did. Would you start one? And with the help of several friends... We started a class that became for us what we needed. Can I tell you, those are the people that we still associate with, that we still call and talk to, that are still some of our closest friends, our closest accountability partners. This is the way God intended for us to run this race together. So who's that for you? Who's running the race with you? Who are you encouraging along as they run their race? Who's encouraging you? Who's holding you accountable? Who are you holding accountable? Whose example do you look to? Whose words of counsel do you listen to? Who listens to yours? This is the way God intended for us to run this race marked out for us. And so in the midst of this chaotic time, the word of the Lord for us is to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a race that's marked out for you, individually for you. Don't let difficulties discourage you. Consider the precedent, the group that you're in when you face these difficulties. Keep a good perspective. Recognize that those difficulties have a purpose and keep on persevering. In running the race of faith, not up in the stands, not at the concession stand, not in the locker room, not in somebody else's lane, in your lane. Running with perseverance the race and running the race that's marked out for us. Running 
with this community, this great cloud of witnesses. Because there's nothing that will help you more in chaotic times like these than running with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for this encouraging word that you've given us a way that we can not only tolerate these circumstances that we find ourselves in these days, but actually triumph. And Father, I pray for each person that he or she will, from this point forward, run with perseverance the race marked out for them. And Father, if there's someone who's listening to my voice who has never gotten in this race, they didn't realize there was a race. They weren't sure what it meant to really be a Christian. They thought it was just coming to church, paying your tithe. That at this moment, that your spirit would speak to them and make yourself known to them and introduce them to your saving grace so that they can get in the race that you have marked out for them and run with perseverance. Thank you for this race that you've given to us, and I pray that you help each of us to run it to the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me give our benediction from the book of Jude, uh, chapter or verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.